And good afternoon, good morning, good evening from wherever you're listening from. TJ Hollingsworth here from Judy and TJ's Midlife Adventure. How about that? I promised you theme music at some point, and by God, there it is. Nothing special. It's actually just some royalty-free music that I downloaded off of iTunes, but see if it adds anything to the quality of the broadcast. I don't know. Glad to have you with us today. Had an uptick in downloads from the last episode for that. I thank you very, very much. As always, I am flattered anytime anybody wants to listen to or watch what anything that I have to say or what my thoughts and opinions are on anything. So I do truly appreciate it. Uh, if you are listening in, if you could leave a comment of some type, that would be greatly appreciated. Always like to know what it is you like to hear about. Um, although we're not really a topic-driven uh, podcast, this is really just a companion piece to Judy and I's uh, YouTube channel, Judy and TJ's Midlife Adventures. You can catch us on there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Things are growing good there. Uh, several things I wanted to touch on here. We'll keep this short. Try to uh, be able to get this uh, wrapped up before you get to where you're going. If you're listening in your car or if you're doing your daily constitution before uh, you got to get back to whatever else it is you're doing. Anyway, uh, let's touch on the YouTube channel real quick. Got some new stuff up since we spoke last time. Uh, as I mentioned last time, we're going to uh, spend a lot of time out the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, I've got some, uh, what I think are some really neat videos, shot them all in 4K. Uh, as I mentioned uh, in our previous couple of episodes, I, I am fortunate enough to receive credentials uh, to the Indianapolis 500, which means uh, every day but race day, can go wandering through the garage area, pit area, and what have you. And uh, what's really cool is they don't restrict anything on what you do as far as, you know, photography, videography, anything of that nature. So I uh, was able to do that. I got some cool videos up. Uh, just a lot of walking around, just showing you what I see from my perspective. Didn't do a lot of talking on it just simply because I don't think you need me uh, explaining what you're looking at. If you understand racing, you follow the sport, you'll know what you're looking at. And if you don't, not enough time to get into it. You can just enjoy the scenery of the, uh, of the cool cars and the sounds of uh, being up close and personal at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Indy 500. I did have a great opportunity to speak to a gentleman that's got a huge growing IndyCar-based YouTube channel. He covers IndyCar and NASCAR, but um, I would say most of it's uh, IndyCar-related. Uh, David Land, and he was kind enough to, to share a few words with us and also invited everybody to subscribe to the channel. Unfortunately, was having all kinds of audio problems that day. It was the first day out with a new camera setting. And uh, I didn't get that. So, David, thank you so much for taking time for me. Your crew, your guys, your producers, your staff, they're just terrific guys. Ran into a couple of them uh, several times throughout the day, and they always were kind enough to say, hey, what's going on? You know, check in and, and, and speak to me. So that was very cool. Uh, so if you are a motorsports fan or you're just uh, like uh, checking out, um, oh, I guess, under-the-radar YouTube providers, I'll call it that. Uh, you know, people that don't have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. He's got over 10,000, but not not hundreds of thousands yet. Uh, be sure to check out David Land, L-A-N-D, just like it sounds. Uh, just a local guy who has a passion for motorsports and uh, jumped on the YouTube platform and doing a great job. But I've got practice from uh, day one, uh, which was Tuesday. Wednesday was rained out here in Indy, so Thursday was day two. And uh, I got broke that down into two parts. I did not go back on Friday simply because of the fact that the nature of the way I was putting these videos together. To me, it didn't really make sense to go to another one. You weren't going to see anything you hadn't already seen. So, you know, kind of my thought was, what's the point? Uh, just a little idea of what's going on and what what uh, what Judy and I will be doing. 
Uh, the next time the car is on the track is scheduled to be Friday the 27th, which is, uh, as I'm recording this tomorrow, uh, which is called Carb Day, C-A-R-B, Carb Day. Now, in today's culture, carbs mean carbohydrates. And I can tell you this, that that's got nothing to do with what's going on at the racetrack on Friday. It is the final practice session, the last opportunity the cars get to go out on the track before race day. Uh, the origins of the name, uh, pretty simple. Back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, I'm not exactly sure when they went to fuel injection. I think it was in the 50s, but uh, all race cars ran on carburetors. And without getting too deep in the weeds here, carburetors can be adjusted to maximize the horsepower they help the engine produce by changing the mixture of the outside air that comes in and the amount of fuel that gets sprayed down into the cylinders to, to cause a combustion to make the engine run. Well, as temperatures go up and down, humidity levels go up and down, things of that nature, it can greatly affect how you would set that carburetor up. It's a thing called jetting, J-E-T-T-I-N-G. And again, those jets just simply, uh, they, they, they uh, oh, I guess they governor the amount of gas that comes in. You get, air comes in as it comes in. There's nothing you can do about that. You've got a big hole in the top of the carburetor that sucks it in, so whatever comes in, comes in. But what you can control is you can control the amount of fuel. Uh, so what they were able to do is this was kind of you know, practice back in the day would run from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. And the race is held in the hottest part of the day uh, from about uh, back in the day. It was 11 to 2 ish uh, as cars get faster. That time gets shorter. But now the race starts at noon. So they run from basically noon to 245, 250 to go 500 miles. So essentially it gives it's a last chance the car, the uh, teams and the drivers have to to uh, make adjustments to their cars in the time of day they're going to be racing now obviously there's no guarantee the weather's going to be the same uh it could be cloudy and overcast uh during carb day and then the race rolls around two days later and it's hot and uh humid which is i mean it is what it is that's why they have all that practice running so they can get data to figure out how to make that work but uh that's what they'll be doing tomorrow it is supposed to be a little on the cool side for for may in indianapolis and i think it's going to be a little overcast however race day as i just mentioned is looking like it's going to be sunny and 80 uh with lower humidity so uh, it, it'll be interesting. It's going to be a great race. I think it's going to be a very competitive race. Uh, the uh, We have the fastest pole speed ever set, four-lap average. I do four laps, which is 10 miles at IMS. Scott Dixon over 234 miles per hour. Uh, not a qualifying track record. That is still owned by Ari Leyendijk from 1996. We went over 236 miles an hour and some change, uh, but he did not sit on the pole because of the way they did qualifying. He qualified on the second day, so he had to start a little further back. Again, not going to jump in the, the, the giggle weeds on that. Just take my word for it or look it up yourself. Do whatever you like. But anyway, uh, that's coming up Sunday. Friday uh, is Carb Days. I mentioned Friday night, Saturday night before the 500, down around IMS. Now, keep in mind, if, uh, if, you, if you've never seen this, jump on Google Earth or your Maps app, whatever, and look up the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the first thing you're going to notice is it is right in the middle of a residential area. It is not off in the stick somewhere. It's not, uh, you know, a special complex back in an industrial area. It is surrounded on, uh, you know, if you look at a foresight, the property is basically shaped like a rectangle. Uh, four of the, three of those sides are surrounded by neighborhoods and homes. Uh, one side of it is partially neighborhoods and then the big field with the Coca-Cola field. Uh, there's a Coke plant there, Coke bottling and manufacturing plant. And uh, there will probably be several thousand campers, uh, people, everything from tents to motorhomes, uh, hold up in that in that, uh, that Coca-Cola field, but it's literally right in the middle of a neighborhood. Uh, and there is all kinds of shenanigans going on those two nights before, 
Uh, think of a, a, some kind of a combination of Mardi Gras and Key West Fantasy Fest and everything in between. And that's about what you're going to find when you uh, when you see the night before, the night or two before the Indianapolis 500. Weather's supposed to be decent. Uh, there has not been this party in the last two years because of COVID. Uh, they announced today that there are only 10,000 ticketed seats left for the race. Uh, to give you some idea, there are approximately, the Speedway's never announced this number. However, uh, a journalist did hire some interns to come in and actually count the seats uh, that are at Indianapolis at IMS. And I think it was, if I remember right, uh, it was just shy of 300,000 actual seats. So they've already sold north of 250,000 ticketed seats plus whatever their formula is for determining how many people could come into the infield with a general admission ticket. So they're saying this will be the largest race since 2016, which was the 100th anniversary race. And that year we saw, uh, gosh, almost well over 400,000, closer to 500,000 than 400,000. And again, with the infield and the way they do it, they don't ever announce actual attendance numbers. So it's all completely done on, uh, People that are good at this kind of thing, guesstimating the crowd, but we're looking at well, well north of 350,000, closer to 450,000 people. We'll be in my little tiny hometown of Speedway, Indiana, uh, all stuffed inside of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So uh, it is going to be, uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great to see this many people getting back out and socializing and, uh, and, and just enjoying uh, one of this country's true treasures, in my opinion. Uh, the largest single spectator, excuse me, largest single day spectator sport on the planet. There's no place else in the world where in one day this many people get together to watch a sporting event. And it's right in my little tiny hometown. ABC7, hey, how you doing? Appreciate you stopping into the live cast. Um, if you don't hear this live, what I'm about to say doesn't really matter. But uh, if you are hearing this and you've downloaded this, I, I record all these live. I live stream them simply because I don't have the time to go in and edit these things and then re-upload them. It takes forever. I live out in a rural part of Indiana. Internet's not great here, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, that's what is coming up. Again, you can check out the YouTube channel for some of the Indianapolis 500 content. Uh, we also have on there, I've got the newest acquisition to the fleet of vehicles owned by the Hollingsworth family, and that is we finally broke down and bought a scooter. Yes, that's right, a scooter. 150 cc's of throbbing horsepower. <laughs> um, why did we buy a scooter? Well, a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, gas prices. Uh, here in central Indiana, now, depending on where you listen to this podcast from, this will mean many different things to many different people. Uh, if you live in California, I'm going to drop a gas price on you that you're going to say, man, we haven't seen gas that low in months. So keep in mind, this is re regionalized, but for the last Three weeks here in Indiana, we have been literally every couple of days setting a new record for the highest gas prices in the state. Currently, right now, for just regular unleaded gasoline, uh, you're paying approximately $4.59 per gallon. Um, wow. I know in California, in some of the coastal areas, it hadn't been that in months, but that is our version of $6.50 gasoline. It is just unbelievable. Uh, I drive a Chevy Silverado pickup truck with 180-some thousand miles on it, 2015 model. And uh, for most of the driving I do, which is just you know, commuting uh, in and about suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana, it is awful on gasoline. Uh, I bought a truck years ago because I needed it to tow a race car trailer frequently. Um, and, uh, you know, we weren't in position and not really didn't have the room to have multiple vehicles just depending on the use. So bought a truck and kind of lived with it. 
And when gas got up around 250, 275, it's kind of like, this kind of stings, but you know, we got a pickup truck. It's got some utility to it, so we'll live with it. However, when we start getting to $4, 405, 415, 420, 430, 440, uh, it was time to start looking for some alternatives. Now, the cool thing is, my truck's paid for, so to go and trade that in and incur more debt to me just didn't make any sense, but we did buy a scooter. As I mentioned, 150 cc's, which means uh, it goes around 50 to 52 miles an hour, depending on you know what kind of wind you're riding into. And if I've got any else on the scooter, which would only be Judy, and I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, yeah, that's going to be kind of the transportation for just going out and running errands and, and taking care of what we got to do from day to day. Uh, it was something we'd been kicking around anyway. We were trying to decide, do we want to do another full-size motorcycle? Um, I've got roots to go back in the Harley-Davidson world many, many years back. And uh, when we started racing, I sold my Harley Davidson, had a street glide, sold it because I really wasn't riding it much anymore. And we needed a motorhome to go to the races with. So we, uh, we, I made the decision, Judy supported it and we sold the uh, motorcycle and bought a motorhome. But uh, one of the things you learn on a motorhome is when you get where you're going, if you don't have some other form of transportation, you're kind of stuck there at the campgrounds or wherever you happen to be. Uh, when we would go to a racing event, I'm talking about events that I would participate in, that really wasn't a big deal because at the racetrack, you're so busy working. When you're finally done for the day, uh, you're exhausted, and all you want to do is have something to eat, maybe shower up and uh, rest. But as we started taking more and more recreational trips, this was becoming not a big problem, but we could see where if we wanted to expand our, our, uh, our RVing lifestyle, that we needed to have some form of transportation so we could go out and see things that were in and around the areas where we were going to camp and hang out. Uh, the two options were some type of a two-wheeled vehicle or a, uh, a car uh, that we would tow behind the motorhome. And uh, after looking into it, uh, the expense of towing behind a motorhome, uh, you can either flat tow, which is where you just tow the vehicle and it turns on its own wheels, or you get some kind of a trailer or a tow dolly. Trailer is pretty self-explanatory. Your vehicle goes on top of the trailer and you pull that along. Uh, a tow dolly is where you actually just pick up the front wheels and they sit on top of a uh little ramps that have wheels on it. You pull that behind you and the rear wheels of the vehicle you're towing are already on the ground. In addition to the expense of acquiring the vehicle to do either one of those things, you then have to have the vehicle set up to where it can tow, uh, where you have to do some things with lights so that, you know, when you, uh, the brake lights work in conjunction with the, uh, the, the brakes lights on the, on the motorhome, so on and so forth. So to do it right you now, we're looking at probably a seven, $8,000 investment. Uh, motorcycle uh, to buy a motorcycle, a, you know what I what I'll call a full size motorcycle uh, was going to be in today's market, which is outrageous uh, compared to where it was just 18, 20 months ago. Uh, motorcycles um, are you know we're still looking at five or six thousand dollars to get something that we thought you know if we're going to buy a bike, we're going to buy something that we're going to be happy with, and uh, we ended up going with option C, which was a uh, you know a scooter. Uh, when we were in Key West uh, this January, we were there for a whole week, so we rented a scooter. It was a smaller one, a 49cc scooter. And it was fantastic for getting around the island, super easy to park, could go anywhere we wanted to within reason, and it worked out real well. So that kind of helped solidify the 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 uh, the choice as far as that went. I spent under $1,000 on the scooter, so after plates, uh, it's titled as a motorcycle because of the 150cc engine, uh, but it's going to get you know, 35, 40 miles to the gallon of gasoline. Uh, when we're, you know, just to go out sightseeing and things of that nature, perfect. And it will, it's transportable on what's called a, a bumper hitch, uh, which is a, a contraption that mounts onto the, uh, the trailer hitch on the RV and the 
little scooter. We just roll it up into the wheel chocks and it sits uh, behind the, uh, behind the RV running parallel to the back. So, um, uh, that setups under $200 to, to get that, that, uh, bumper hitch. So, you know, to, to me, it just made sense, you know, multi-use vehicle, inexpensive to ride, maintain, and very easy to get from point A to point B. Uh, what are your thoughts? What would you do? What would, do you have a scooter now? Do you have a gas mileage car? What are you doing, uh, to kind of combat some of these high gas prices? Uh, leave a comment down there if you would, or if you want to jump over on the YouTube page and leave a comment, it's a YouTube short. It's only a 20 some second video where you can see the, uh, you can see the uh, scooter. In fact, if I can do links in the description of this, I'll put one in there so you can check it out. But we'd love to hear what are you doing about some of these gas prices? Are you, uh, did you get a scooter? Did you buy another car? Did you trade in the car you already had? What do you got going on? Stumbling, fumbling right along. Wanted to talk to you a little bit about why I think everybody should have their own YouTube channel. And uh, I know a lot of people saw this and were like, oh, we, you know, here we go. Everybody needs to be famous. I'm not even talking about that. Once you kick back for a minute, I am somebody that is, I, I, I'm into nostalgia. I'm into history, uh, in particular, my family. Uh, if you're, well, I mean, everybody, there's, you know, certain generations going back to your family that you know, you know, real well. And of course, the further back that goes, if you did know them, your chances are you're pretty young and you don't have to go back too far, 50, 60 years to where you've got family that all you know are the stories that you've heard second, third, and fourth hand uh, about some of your ancestry. Think about this for a minute. If the technology had been there, how amazing would it be to go back to, say, 1910 and be able to see and hear your family members just discussing what was going on in their lives at that particular time? Can you imagine that? I mean, all we have right now to go back that time are some grainy photographs uh, that weren't real well, you know, or excuse me, weren't real good when they were brand new simply because photo technology was in its infancy. Certainly there was no video and audio recordings. Forget about it. Uh, there was no such thing. But if you look at YouTube, if you look at Facebook with its video component and really any of these social media platforms, I pick YouTube because I think it's a longer platform and I think it's uh, got a better chance of being accessible down the road. But you have a very unique opportunity to be one of the first people in your family that can leave a, a, a video documentation with great clarity, great audio, great video picture for your, you know, for your descendants, for generations to come. You can talk about the issues of the day. You can talk about things happening in you and your family's life. Um, I've got a, a grandson, very young. Uh, I think he's going to be, he's about ready to, to move into seventh grade, but I've uh, talked to my daughter a couple of times. I said, he, he's all about YouTube. He wants to be a big YouTube star, which is cool. I said, just set up a private YouTube for him. Can you imagine how neat it would be for his children, assuming that he ends up with kids, to be able to go back and watch their dad when they were his age and see what he was going through? What was he relating to? Things of that nature. That would be really cool. My opinion, you may not think so. But, uh, you know, diaries, journals, those, those were the things of the past. But here we have a chance to do you know, video to where not only can you see the words, but you can hear it. You can see the, uh, the, you know, the body language, the emotions that come along with some of this stuff. I think it's just absolutely neat. It's a great legacy you can leave behind for generations of family that you don't even know about. You'll never meet, you'll never know existed, but they're going to know about you. I think that's pretty cool. That's just me. What do you think? Leave a comment down here. I would love to discuss this with somebody. Maybe even have you on here on the podcast. I just don't know. We're going to wrap things up today. We've been going out in about 20 minutes. You're probably pretty close to your destination if you're not there already. 
And if you're there already, what in the world are you sitting listening to me for? Get in and do what you got to do. But hey, let's talk about the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I grew up in Speedway. Uh, my family's been in and around the uh, the sport of IndyCar racing in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway forever. This is my passion. Uh, this is what drove me uh, through a big part of my life, and I just absolutely love it. Uh, in addition to the fact that it is the largest single-day spectator sporting event on the planet, uh, it also revolves around the Memorial Day holiday. And uh, I had an interesting conversation with somebody on Facebook the other day. There's a meme that popped up that said, you know, Memorial Day is, I'm paraphrasing, Memorial Day is not the day to thank veterans for their service. Memorial Day is the day we remember those who gave their lives in service to their country. And somebody said, well, you can do both. It's like, yeah, you can. But I, I've got several close friends that, that are military veterans and almost all of them uh, echo the exact same world's words. They feel very uncomfortable when people thank them for their service on Memorial Day, simply because of the fact that uh, you hear about this all the time. There's survivor guilt. Those who, who went off to battle and their friends didn't make it back and they did. Uh, things of that nature. There's a little bit of that that runs in, I think, every veteran that's ever served. Why, do, you know, why am I here? And, and so many didn't make it. So um, while I, you know, any chance you can thank somebody for, for putting on the uniform and, and offering to lay their life down for yours, those people deserve your gratitude 24 seven, 365 days out of the year. However, um, I would suggest, you know, maybe taking a day off from that. And let's just focus on what this holiday is about here in the United States. And that is remembering those who, uh, you know, they paid the ultimate sacrifice. They, they paid a price that, that a lot of people wouldn't be willing to do. And they did so willingly. So let's think about that. And as we're doing that, uh, the opening ceremonies leading up to the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Uh, you can see it on TV. You can go back on YouTube and watch past years. Uh, if you don't get a lump in your throat listening and watching that, I don't know what to say. Uh, one of the most emotional moments for me is when the Purdue University marching band plays taps. And they've done this several different ways, and I'm not sure what they're doing this year. One of the most amazing things I, I've ever seen them do is they had uh, a bugler who was standing at the uh, base of the tower terrace pagoda. And they had another one uh, that was, I believe he was in the starter stand, which was across the racetrack in the air and they played taps, but you had the main bugler and then you had the second bugler that would answer. And, oh man, it, it, it I mean, it, it choked me up. It chokes me up every time we do this because I, I look around and, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm there with 350, 400,000 other people that are all free to show up at this place and sit and watch people risk their lives to entertain them. And I think about how many, how many of those soldiers and sailors and what have you that, you know, went to the Indianapolis 500, but you know, they're not coming back. And it, you know, it, it makes me very thankful. I try to live in gratitude all the time, but uh, you know, that's the moment it really hits home. So if you, again, I'm going to say this, you'll hear me say this a million times. If you, ever ever get the opportunity to attend the indianapolis 500 mile race in person whether you're a race fan or not it doesn't matter check it out you owe it to yourself because i i think it'll be one of the most incredible experiences you'll ever have and to wrap it around that memorial day weekend to me is just absolutely magical so check that out it's going to be live on nbc uh, this Sunday, Saturday is going to be, or I'm sorry, uh, Friday, Carb Day is going to be on Peacock. If you've got that app, that is pretty cool as well. 
So outside of that, just going to ask you all, please, to uh, subscribe to this podcast. That'd be cool. Also, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, Judy and TJ's Midlife Adventures. We would love to hear your thoughts on the videos we put up. Do you have any ideas for videos? We'd love to see that as well. And outside of that, friends, I am out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.